It is Thursday, November 5th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the Week 9 Preview Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. With me, as always, is Jared Smola. And along with prepping for Week 9 this week, Jared, we posted our second-to-last buy-sell-hold report of the year on Wednesday, as well as a dynasty buy-sell-hold report. It's a good time of year to really pair those with the strength of schedule pages on DraftSharks.com and start setting up your teams not only for the next month, but also even for fantasy playoff time. Right. And, and know where your team stands. Like if you're battling for, for a playoff spot, prioritize the next few weeks. If you're, you know, what week are we in? We, we have eight games. So if you're, you know, seven and one or, or six and two, you should be starting to look ahead to the playoffs now and, you know, starting to try to maybe add guys, trade for guys that have really nice playoff schedules. Cause I mean, at this point of the season, we know the good defenses. I feel good about, you know, saying these are the positive matchups. I think, you know, looking ahead to schedule now makes a lot more sense than it does, you know, in the summer or even in week one or two. Yeah, for sure. The more info that you get, the the better it is for reading the matchups. Obviously, it's never going to be 100%, but it's easier now than it was in week two. Um, Of course, today, though, we are focused on week nine, so you can check out those articles, but we're going to go through every game as we usually do. And this time, we're going to start with the Packers and 49ers, which the NFL doesn't seem like it should be starting with this week. Seems like they should probably be postponing this game at least until later in the weekend, but they're not. They're playing it, even though half of the Niners have COVID. It's Thursday night. It's Packers by seven and a half. That's up four points from where it opened. The over-under is down four points, and it's for a good reason, because these Niners are missing Jimmy Garoppolo, George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Raheem Moster, Tevin Coleman, Jeff Wilson Jr., Kendrick Bourne, and Brandon Ayuk. Yeah, uh, San Francisco's implied total down from 24.25 to 20.25, which is one of the lowest of the week. You know, from a season-long perspective, the only – piece of the Niners I'm interested in is the backfield. Um, you know, this should have been a run heavy attack anyways. I think they're going to have to go run heavy now. Packers are really bad against the run. You know, we just saw Dalvin Cook have the massive game against them. At the same time, though, if you're the Packers, how do you let the Niners running game beat you with what the, the Niners are going to be throwing out there in the passing game? So I'll be interested to see, you know, if uh, Green Bay's defense is able to just load the box and and shut down Jermichael Hasty and Jerick McKinnon. But I, I do think there's upside to those guys again because, I mean, th- this is a great Niners running game. You know, Kyle Shanahan, I think, is one of the better play callers in the league. So we'll, we'll see what he can do with this, you know, ragtag group he has. But um, it'll be an interesting matchup from that side to see, you know, if this Packers defense can actually stop the run, which is really all the Niners should be able to do in this game. Right. The 49ers are also missing left tackle Trent Williams for this game. So that certainly won't help their pursuit either in throwing or running. I mean, Jarek McKinnon and Jermichael Hasty are both in play. I think all the wide receivers missing makes Jarek McKinnon more attractive now than I thought he was a few days ago because somebody's going to have to catch passes here. And it's Jarek McKinnon is certainly a better bet to do that than Jermichael Hasty. So McKinnon would be my first 49ers running back in here. Trent Taylor, there should not be a week where Trent Taylor looks like a wide receiver three. But he does this week. I mean, I, I you can't say that you'd be shocked if Trent Taylor catches eight passes in this game. We don't even know yet if the Niners are going to have a number two wide receiver because Richie James is that guy at the moment, and he's questionable for the game. Yeah, Kevin White and River Craycraft on the practice squad. So I assume the Niners will be calling up both of those guys. Um, yeah, I mean, Trent Taylor, the best target bet here. I'll give him like low upside wide receiver three and PPR. You know, again, I'm I'm not sure if the Niners offense is going to get anything done tonight. That brings down the upside everywhere. Um, so, you know, 
I wouldn't want to start Trent Taylor in season long. I do think he's an interesting play if you're playing, you know, the, the one game DFS con- competitions. Yeah, I wouldn't want to use him either, but he's Danny Amendola with the higher floor this week, basically. Sure. <laughs> uh, at tight end, do we know yet if Jordan Reed's going to play? We don't. Um, I, I think the Niners have until 4 p.m. to bring you know Reed up onto the active roster. I think if he doesn't play, Ross Dwelly is an option. Um, I, I guess, you know, beyond the backfield, he'd probably be the next most interesting guy from a season-long perspective. And I think he does have some spots there potential. In the two games George Kittle missed last season, uh, Dwelly caught three balls on seven targets in the first one and then caught four balls um, on five targets with two touchdowns in the second game. That came against the Cardinals, so, you know, everyone – crush as a tight end last season but you know i think the niners have shown a willingness to to use dwelly in the passing game when they've had to so if reed remains out i think dwelly you know is a lower end tight end one play yeah just like with trent taylor the niners only have so many guys that they can throw the ball to so i mean ross dwelly could be involved even if jordan reed is playing but you're obviously gonna have to watch the jordan reed situation if you're planning to use either guy heading into the game I, i play in this deeper two tight end league where I actually claimed both Jordan Reed and Ross Dwelly off of waivers this morning. So we'll see which of those guys is playing. I'll certainly be watching to see what happens, but Nick Mullins has at least been decent at times. He's also played uh, poorly enough at times to be yanked from the lineup for CJ Beathard, but he's a starting quarterback. He's been okay. There's nothing really scary outside of Jair Alexander on the green Bay defense. So, you know, if you need any of these Niners we've mentioned, then there is at least some volume upside to him. On the Packers side, of course, no Jamal Williams there because of his close contact with A.J. Dillon. Aaron Jones is questionable, so we don't know whether he'll play. If he does, you know, the Jamal Williams thing won't really matter so much, but we're going to have to watch and see. Yeah, I mean, if Jones plays, the Packers are cautious enough bringing their guys back where I would think he's ready for something close to a full workload. And with Jamal Williams out, I mean, we could get 25 Aaron Jones touches tonight. So you're starting Aaron Jones if he's active. If he's inactive, it's Dexter Williams, it's Tyler Irvin. I don't know what to make of the situation. I, I think, you know, Irvin would be the primary pass catcher, probably makes him the better play. I'm also not sure Irvin would get a whole lot of volume on the ground. He's just a smaller guy. He's 192 pounds. You know, he has 10 career NFL carries. Um, so I think you might see Williams lead the way in carries, but, you know, tough, tough San Fran run defense. So not, not a situation I'd really try to invest into heavily. Yeah. I mean, I think that if Aaron Jones is out, we're probably looking at um, workload splits like the Chiefs had with uh, Clyde Edwards-Elair and Le'Veon Bell the past two weeks where neither guy was particularly useful and they each had single-digit touches. I think that's probably the outlook here. Yeah, we probably get 20 targets for Devontae Adams if uh, Aaron Jones doesn't play tonight. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> um, Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, obviously in good spots. Marquez Valdez-Scantling might have a better path than usual with all the running back questions and not a whole lot else going on. Um, Robert Tunyon's okay, but the 49ers have been a negative tight end matchup on the year. Yeah, tough matchup for Tunyon. Um, it also seems like we're seeing Jay Sternberger cut into Tunyon's playing time a bit. Um, 52% yeah. routes last week for Robert Robert Tunyon. That was down from 60% in week seven, which was you know down from where he'd been the previous few games. So between that and the tough matchup, I would I would shy away from using Tunyon uh, this week. And I'm uh, I'm now a Tunyon injury away from Jay Sternberger really bringing that beer bet with Mike Jasaki back to life. <laughs> yeah, it's still alive. Sadly, Jasaki should have put it away by now. I know. I thought I was going to go the, the Trump path and pay it off in week two, but I'm, I'm glad I waited for the recount. Yeah. And please tell me you got nothing else in that game. No, yeah, let's move on. Bears at Tennessee to kick off the Sunday slate. Titans by six points over under a 46 and a half. There's a COVID watch here as well because uh, Bears guard Cody Whitehair tested positive, but apparently you need to have at least 12 of your players be on the COVID list before they'll think about moving a game at this point. Matchup wise, 
The Tennessee defense has been positive for every position. The biggest impact so far has been on tight end scoring. So Jimmy Graham is a solid option. He was quiet against the Saints last week, but he did draw seven targets in that game, caught five balls in each of the previous two games. And even though Cole Komet played a season high uh, snap share last week, he hasn't been getting the ball much, hasn't been playing all that well, and it hasn't meant a playing time dip yet for Jimmy Graham. You know, I, I did notice that Graham set a season low last week in routes at 60%. Um, like you said, he still saw seven targets. He's averaging seven targets over his last three games, which is, you know, a, a great number at tight end. And the matchup here, um, I think Graham is a top 12 play this week. We'll, we'll keep an eye on the playing time, though, I won't be surprised if they start to, you know, scale Graham back for their rookie. Yeah, worth noting that 60% is even still the level that, like, Mark Andrews and Johnny Smith are seeing for their teams. Yeah, those guys would love to see 60%. <laughs> um, the wide receivers have been next in positive impact against the Tennessee defense. Allen Robinson's always played. Darnell Mooney has upside, but he's down in wide receiver four range. Anthony Miller broke through for numbers last week, but he's still a probably not for me. Saw a season high in playing time against New Orleans, but targets in production were just way out of line with the rest of his season. Had 11 targets in that game. He had not seen more than five targets in any other game since the opener. Yeah, Titans 25th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. They just released Jonathan Joseph, who was uh, second among their cornerbacks in snaps played this season. So definitely a unit to attack. I mean, it's still Nick Foles. So I think Allen Robinson, the only guy we can really count on here. Uh, Tennessee did, did trade for Desmond King, but I don't think he can play this week, right? With, with the COVID rules, I think he has to pass through a certain number of days of negative tests. Yeah, I don't know yet. See, I, I, I want to say five days was the expected timeline. I'm, I'm not sure yet whether Desmond yeah. King is going to be available this week. Yeah, so I mean, he, he'd be the matchup for Anthony Miller, which I think would be a slight downgrade to Miller's matchup. I have nothing to really shy away from. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at Anthony Miller anyway, I wouldn't read too far into the, the matchup because you're using Anthony Miller because you don't have actually <laughs> good options. Yeah, sure. I think it's a fine spot for David Montgomery, whatever that means, too. Yeah, I mean, as ugly as it's been, he's been a top 24 half PPR running back in four straight games now. So when you're getting the type of volume he's getting, it's, it's tough to it's tough to fail. Yeah, well, he's lucky that there are only 18 running backs in the league. <laughs> right. The Titans passing game disappointed against the Bengals, and this is now a worse spot for Ryan Tannehill. He's outside the top 12 in our rankings this week. A.J. Brown, Corey Davis still um, starting in most cases, I think. Davis has actually out-targeted A.J. Brown in two straight games since returning from the COVID list. Ten targets in each of those games for the season – through five contests, he's averaging 7.8 targets and 5.8 catches per game. Yeah, Davis, uh, 15th among wide receivers in half PPR points per game. So, I mean, even in this matchup where we don't love the Titans passing game, I think uh, Davis is the least worth using as a wide receiver three. Jonu Smith let us all down against the Bengals, but the upside here is that he did run a route on a season high 64.7% of Ryan Tannehill's dropbacks. Chicago is a favorable matchup for tight end scoring on the season. That's the only offensive offensive position that that is true for uh, when you're facing Chicago. It's strongly negative for QBs and wide receivers. So I think in nearly all cases, I'm playing Johnny Smith again this week and trying not to panic overall after last week. Yeah, I mean, if tight end was a stronger position, I think we could say you could bench Johnny Smith. But I mean, there's only like five or six guys I'd play over him. So this week, just just for the upside that we saw, you know, over the first month of the season, I, I do think you know having Corey Davis and AJ Brown both healthy and producing, you know, that, that I think that's hurting Johnny Smith. I'm still not sure this Titans passing game has enough volume to support you know three viable fantasy starters every week. It's it's fortunate that Smith plays a position where you can get by on five or six targets a week. But I agree, there's definitely more of a volume issue now. Yep. 
In the backfield, I think the only thing really worth mentioning here is don't overrate Deontay Foreman this week. He had a couple of nice runs against Cincinnati, 37 yards on his five carries, a long gain of 15. He only played six total snaps, though. It was about a third of, or actually it was about a fourth of what Jeremy McNichols played in that game. Darrington Evans is on his way back soon from IR with a hamstring injury. So, I mean, if you want to stash Deontay Foreman this week as a handcuff to Derrick Henry, I can't say it's a bad move. I think it would be a committee, though, if Harry were to go, if Henry were to go down, rather than Foreman stepping into the Derrick Henry role. Yeah, I, I legitimately, legitimately did not know that uh, Foreman was on an NFL team or, or the Titans until I you know, saw him on the field last week. He actually looked pretty good, and he's still young. He was a talented guy. Had the serious injury, obviously. So interesting guy, but yeah, I agree. Um, I think you know he he would not get anything close to the Derrick Henry workload if if Henry misses time. And certainly worth remembering that he was playing Cincinnati, which tends to make running backs look good. True. Detroit Lions at Minnesota Vikings. Vikings by four, over under 52. Matthew Stafford is currently on the COVID list for contact away from the team. In danger of missing this game, that would mean Chase Daniel. And for me, that would downgrade a passing game that I'm already not excited about. Yeah, so Stafford just has to make it through the week without a positive test, and he'll be eligible to play on Sunday. Um, you know, he, he obviously doesn't have Kenny Galladay for this game. That That's a big loss. Um, he played the first two weeks of the season without Galladay, finished those weeks as quarterback 20 and quarterback 19 in fantasy points, averaged 7.2 yards per attempt in those two games versus 8.0 yards per attempt over the last five. So you know, losing Kenny Galladay is a big deal for this passing game. The matchup against Minnesota is good enough where Stafford's like still in play as a lower-end quarterback one in our rankings this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he just hasn't even been an exciting quarterback with Kenny Galladay around. So I agree with Kenny Galladay out. It, it only hurts. And Marvin Jones is only in starter territory because Kenny Galladay is out. Even with Galladay leaving early last week, Jones couldn't even manage to be the top performing wide receiver on his own team named Marvin. Marvin Hall matched him in targets at seven. He caught four of his for 113 yards. Marvin Jones uh, scored twice, but only caught three for 39 yards. So there's upside, but the floor is still low. So don't overrate Marvin Jones as you're planning your roster this week. Yeah, I mean, he got those two games to start the season without Kenny Galladay and Jones was just okay. He had four catches on eight targets for 55 yards in the first one, four catches on six targets for 23 yards and a score in the second. For, to me, it's the matchup that is boosting Jones a bit higher in the rankings this week. The Vikings 29th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers and still just dealing with, with a bunch of injuries and, and other issues in their secondary. Mm -hmm. Danny Amendola, I think, is also on the radar for that reason. Saw just four targets last week, but averaging 18 yards per catch this season. A lot of that on run after the catch. That's about seven yards per catch more than his usual. Again, not somebody that I'm going after hard or excited about by any means, but I think he's in play in wide receiver four range for people who are looking at players such as Trent Taylor and even considering Braxton Berrios. Yeah, I'll, I'll keep projecting Amendola for like 10 yards per catch, not the 18 he's at so far this season. But he, he did have seven catches on 14 targets in those two games without Kenny Galladay. So t- he is, you know, I, I would prefer Trent Taylor and even Braxton Berrios, but, you know, Amendola's in, in the same range this week. I'll take Trent Taylor, um, but I would take Danny Amendola over Braxton Berrios. I'm not going to argue too hard. <laughs> I want to arm wrestle over Braxton Berrios versus Danny Amendola. Yeah. Just to make sure we have no more viewers. PJ <laughs> Hawkinson, basically a must start now in the wasteland that is tight end. And then backfield, DeAndre Swift struggled on the production front last week against Indy, but he's still, he he moved actually even further ahead of Adrian Peterson in terms of playing time. Yeah. Um, season high, 62% snap rate for Swift 
last week. It, it was, you know, negative game script throughout, which I think probably pushed him on the field more. Um, but it, it continued an overall, like, upward trend in Swift's playing time. He actually out-carried, out-carried Adrian Peterson last week for the first time all season. You know, he's averaging a little over four targets per game over his last three. So um, I, I like Swift here. And another game, really, the Lions should be playing from behind. I think he'll be on the field plenty. Yeah, and I mean, based on what we've seen in receiving usage, he should be the favorite running back here for a team that's missing its top receiver and is going to need somebody with upside to throw the ball to. Yep. On the Vikings side, the matchup is okay for the passing game, but Minnesota's favorite status here challenges that volume. Keeps me from getting excited about Kirk Cousins. Uh, Kirk Cousins a little higher in QB territory, QB two territory than he would be in some other weeks. But you know, again, I'm not. I would. I would not bet on him reaching 30 pass attempts. No, either would I. Um, but, you know, good matchup for Minnesota overall. They have the 28-point implied total. So Cousins is a decent touchdown. But he, he's, like, in the same boat as Ben Roethlisberger this week where, like, it's a good matchup. He should have success, but the volume is probably just not going to be there. Um, Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson, I think, are both obvious must starts in this matchup, a, a struggling Lions secondary. And Thielen and, and Jefferson, they've basically seen the same usage since Jefferson took over a full-time role in Week 5. Thielen has three more targets um, and just two more air yards over that stretch. So, you know, they're, they're basically the same guy at this point. Irv Smith dropped back to one target last week, but his playing time is right in line with the previous two games. So I think if you're in a league where you're looking down into the Irv Smith range, don't overrate the targets and receptions from last week. Yeah, another um, season high in route rate for Irv Smith last week. It's three straight weeks he set a season high. Um, again, the concerns here are the passing volume for Minnesota and a Detroit defense that, you know, the, the one thing they have done this season is limit tight end. So not a great spot for Irv Smith. And by the way, there's breaking news right now saying that Kendrick Bourne's positive COVID test is looking like a false positive. So we'll get, we'll have to see like over the next couple hours, if that's going to change the playing status of any 49ers, but something to definitely be aware of as we're setting lineups. Just what we needed. <laughs> right. Some late breaking news. Anything else from the Vikings game? Nope. The Giants at the Washington football team in a game nobody wants to watch. Washington by two and a half, over under 42. Daniel Jones actually fared better against the Bucks than I would have expected Monday night. I would guess most people would have expected. But, I mean, true to t- Daniel Jones' form, even within that, he threw a couple of really bad interceptions. And he missed a couple of deep balls. Like, he could have had another 100 yards and two touchdowns in that game. Yep. So certainly not using him, but I do think that Darius Slate and Sterling Shepard are at least okay. And Sterling Shepard looks like the higher floor option between them. Yeah, um, 24 targets for Shepard in his three games this season. He's seen six-plus targets now in 19 straight healthy games dating back to last season. Washington's actually first in adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. Both of their outside corners have fared pretty well in PFFs coverage grade. So not a, not a good matchup for Shepard, but you know, a guy, a guy you can count on for six to eight targets makes him a wide receiver three option. Yeah, definitely just okay options as opposed to good options in the matchup this week. Evan Ingram looking up the past two weeks with nine and 10 targets in those two games, 11 total catches over that span, left some points on the field in Philly, but he might've played his best game of the season so far against the Bucks. I think that makes him a fairly easy start this week with Washington being a positive scoring matchup against tight ends. And as we mentioned, uh, a tougher matchup for the wideouts. Yeah, Football Outsider says Washington dead last in tight end coverage. Evan Ingram's top three among tight ends in pass routes, targets, and catches. Um, he's 12th in yards. Hasn't scored a single touchdown yet. So you know, he, he has some positive touchdown regression coming. I think, you know, he, he still looks like a weekly tight end one the rest of the way. And, you know, again, as you said, a, a positive matchup here. Yeah. 
backfield, Devontae Foreman was still not practicing Wednesday. He missed last week with the ankle injury. Wayne Gallman returned. He led the backfield in rushing. Definitely not a backfield to target, and we'll watch how things progress through the week, but it looks like Wayne Gallman's the first guy up. Yeah, another guy I did not know was on an NFL roster, Alfred Morris, who got activated ahead of that game. It, you know, it was a three-man committee with Gallman, Morris, and Deion Lewis. So, you know, Gallman would be a desperation fantasy play. Yeah, Alfred Morris is tough to see because he sneaks up in that 1991 Mazda or whatever right. year it was from. That's right. Um, on the Washington side, I hope that you don't have to play anything besides Terry McLaurin or Antonio Gibson. Um, Logan Thomas has not topped four targets in a game since week three. So the matchup is fine if you need him, but he's not attractive. And I really don't have much to say about anybody else on the Washington side. Yeah, that's about it. I mean, McLaurin gets the James Bradbury matchup, but he caught seven balls on 12 targets for 74 yards in that matchup just a few weeks ago. So he's locked in. Um, Antonio Gibson, I'll be, I'll be curious to see, you know, we've seen a few of these rookie running backs get expanded roles coming off of the bye week. Um, Antonio Gibson obviously had his best game of the year against Dallas last time out. So I'm curious to see if, you know, he gets a, a slightly bigger piece of the pie going forward. And J.D. McKissick had a solid reception game against the Giants last time. He would probably need the Giants to uh, pull ahead to be in better shape on that front, which is, is possible. I mean, if we get the Giants team that played the Bucks tough on Monday night, then it should make life more difficult for Washington on Sunday. Yeah, six catches for McKissick in that last game. Football Outsiders has the Giants 28th in running back coverage. So, you know, if you're if you're desperate in a PPR league, you know, McKissick will probably get you eight to ten points. Houston Texans at the Jacksonville Jaguars. Texans by seven. It's an over-under of 50. Deshaun Watson threw for 359 yards, three touchdowns, plus a couple interceptions in the first meeting with the Jaguars. There is certainly that potential again. Will Fuller, Brandon Cooks, I think, are easy starts here. Cooks is coming off three straight games of nine-plus targets, seven-plus catches, and 60-plus yards. Randall Cobb's on the wide receiver three fringe, more toward the wide receiver four side. He had the big game last time out against the Packers, eight catches for 95, but that was his first game this year with more than six targets, and he's still a low floor and really fairly low ceiling player. Yeah, Cooks has led Houston in targets since Bill O'Brien was fired. Uh, 30 targets in those three games for Cooks, a 27% target share. Uh, Will Fuller has been at just 22.5% of the targets. So, you know, that that might be like a, you know, 1A, 1B situation the rest of the way. I think, you know, Cooks might be closer in fantasy value to Fuller than a lot of people give him credit for right now. Um, yeah, Randall Cobb's still the clear third wide receiver. He does have a nice matchup against Trey Herndon in the slot. Um, PFF has him 98th among 113 corners in their uh, coverage grades. He's allowed 10.4 yards per target this season. Jordan Akins was back to a full practice Wednesday. He missed the past three games with a concussion and an ankle sprain. If you need a tight end, there's upside here, but uh, it's a situation that I would like to avoid if I can. He's had just one game so far this season with more than three targets. So tough to know for sure who's going to lead between Akins and uh, Darren Fells. Right. That's what I was going to say. I'd be worried that, you know, Fells, his play with Aikens out over the past month has, you know, earned him a bigger role. So I would, I'd take a wait and see and just, you know, see how the routes and targets are split among those guys if Aikens comes back. If Aikens is out, I think, you know, Fells is in play. Um, you know, he had the two catches, 57 yards and a score against Jacksonville a few weeks ago. Uh, the Jags are 24th against tight ends. Yep. Yeah. I would say in play down in like Logan Thomas range. Yep. Good spot for David Johnson, who went for 96 yards on 17 carries in the first meeting as well. Yep. Uh, the Jags are 30th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. Um, Johnson's averaging 16.7 carries per game since uh, Bill O'Brien was fired. So he at least has the rushing workload, even if the targets have been a bit underwhelming. 
And these Jaguars don't look like a good bet to run up the score on Houston, even if the Texans don't play well on Sunday, because we're going to get sixth round rookie QB Jake Luton making his first NFL appearance. I mean, the last time that Jacksonville did that was only last year, and it's worked out well for them on the fantasy front so far. It's tough to bet on two straight sixth round sixth round rookie quarterbacks delivering immediate fantasy impact. I think we should get a lot of action for James Robinson in this game, unless Houston runs away. And frankly, even if Houston runs away, then maybe we get a bunch of Ju- James Robinson receptions. I mean, even Minshew looked like a more promising prospect than Jake Lewin. He only had one full season as a starter. Oregon State completed just 62% of his passes, 7.6 yards per attempt. Doesn't appear to have any rushing upside, you know, based on his college production or his measurables. So, you know, well off the fantasy radar. Honestly, I have no idea what it means for Jacksonville's wide receivers. I think DJ Chark, you stick with just as the best bet for targets and, you know, a good enough talent and the matchup's good enough where I think, you know, he, he's okay as a wide receiver three. Other than that, I would avoid the passing game. And then, yeah, James Robinson, Chris Thompson is back this week. I mean, we saw Robinson get all 28 Jacksonville running back opportunities with with uh, Thompson out last week. So, you know, Thompson's back to probably steal, you know, a few catches here or there, but um, Robinson's still a good touch bat in a, against a bad uh, Texans run defense. Yeah, I watched the Jake Luton highlight video just before this, just so that I could say that I'd seen some of Jake Luton. He looks like Joe Flacco without the arm. I mean, even the highlight video was like, these are the best Jake Luton plays you could find. Yeah, that's a problem when the highlight video doesn't you know, make you think he's a future Hall of Famer. Right, the best play on the entire video was a catch by a receiver because he threw the ball so far behind him. Yeah, no good. Um, I agree with DJ Chark being the only guy that's even slightly interesting and I wouldn't even feel comfy about him. It would just be if I'm looking down in wide receiver three range and I'm like, well, I guess I'll play DJ Chark over Trent Taylor. (laughs) Frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if Trent Taylor outscores him this week. Yeah, I would, I would have to go Chark there. Uh, anything else from that game? Uh, no. Baltimore Ravens at the Indianapolis Colts, Baltimore by two and a half in this one over under 47. Lamar Jackson had a bad game against Pittsburgh last week at home, sub 50% completions season worst passer rating. It was the third time this season that he's fallen under 74 in passer rating for a game. The rushing means you can't sit him in most cases, but Lamar Jackson sits low in QB one territory in our rankings. And the Colts have some pass rushers as well as speedy linebackers. They just got Darius Leonard back to health last week. So not a great spot for Lamar Jackson this week. No, it's a tough matchup. It was a tough matchup last week that he struggled in. But with that rushing, he still finished quarterback eight on the week. So, you know, with with uh, whatever it was, the knee injury behind him and the rushing back, he's he's at least a safe quarterback one, even if, you know, he doesn't have the upside that he, he had last season. Yeah, that's the thing is I, I think the floor is there for the rushing. I don't think that the ceiling is there this week. I would not be surprised if he's outscored by uh, players such as Matt Ryan, Derek Carr, maybe Ben Roethlisberger, although I like him least of those three. Yep. What the hell happened to Marquise Brown last week? Because I think that you probably watched a lot more of this game than I did, and he only saw two targets for some reason. I mean, it was, it was, it was a Steelers-Ravens game, just defensive battle. Um, it, it was Brown's first game of the year without – um, six plus targets. So I think, and then, you know, he had the tweet um, after the game, you know, about, you know, not, not using your soldiers or, or whatever it was. So um, there could be some, you know, squeaky wheel treatment here where Lamar tries to get him going. It's really been Lamar's lack of accuracy on downfield throws. It's been hurting Marquise Brown. He has 16 targets, 20 plus yards downfield this season, which is, you know, one of the highest marks in the NFL, but only five of those have been catchable. He's caught all five. So, you know, when he's had a chance, he's making plays downfield. Lamar just hasn't been accurate enough. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was season-high playing time for Marquise Brown last week as well. And as you mentioned, six-plus targets in every other game. So it, it's annoying, but don't overrate it. He's still in your starting lineup in most cases. We finally got the J.K. Dobbins breakout that we've all been waiting for last week. Mark Ingram still not practicing Wednesday because of his sprained ankle. I would think that the Ravens seem smart enough on the coaching and you know team-building front that they wouldn't banish J.K. Dobbins back to obscurity when Mark Ingram is ready to return. But, you know, we're going to have to wait and see on that until it actually happens. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. I, I do think Ingram's not going to play this week, though. You know, the, the report was it's a, you know, basically a high ankle sprain he's dealing with. So I would expect him to miss at least one more week and probably the week after even, too. You know, we'll see about Dobbins' role after that. But for now, I think you're, you're starting him. Um, you know, it was still a committee with Gus Edwards last week. Gus Edwards actually had one more carry than J.K. Dobbins, but Dobbins actually played 66% of the snaps to just 32 for Gus Edwards. So if that continues, I would expect Dobbins to lead the way in carries this week. Um, It's a tough matchup, but it was a tough matchup against Pittsburgh last week and Dobbins in over 100 yards. And really, at least with one guy down, it's more of like a detective agency than a committee. Sure. Gus Edwards, usable role, but I think this particular matchup makes him not all that attractive. Yeah, I mean, again, it was a tough matchup last week, and you know he's a a good player, and it's a good – running scheme um, you know, he's not going to do anything in the passing game but it does look like he's still the preferred goal lineback for Baltimore so you know obviously a, m- a much better bet in non-PPR you know in PPR your the floor is low because he's probably not going to catch any passes mm-hmm. on the Colts side I would love to not be able to to be able to not use anyone here um, definitely nobody that's truly attractive thanks to the matchup with Baltimore Jonathan Taylor and Jordan Wilkins are both limited in practice on Wednesday with injuries I mean Naheem Hines might emerge as the most attractive Colts running back this weekend yeah it's possible I mean it's crazy it is to say Wilkins has just played better than Jonathan Taylor at least over you know the past few weeks here we'll, we'll see if you know the Colts actually go with Wilkins as the lead back especially in this matchup against Baltimore Football Outsiders has them first in run defense. I would I would try to avoid the backfield this week and just see how it plays out. Yeah, I agree. Anything else worth noting on the Colts side? Uh, no. Trey Burton had another nice fantasy game, but with Mo Alley Cox back, they were using um, Burton, Doyle, and Mo Alley Cox. They, they were all between 10 and 16 pass routes. Uh, Burton and Alley Cox got four targets. Doyle got three. So you know, it's basically a three-man tight end committee here. We know it's an offense that uses the tight end a bunch. T.Y. Hilton probably not playing this week. That, you know, should mean even more tight end action. But um, Burton's floor is lower than it seems like, you know, based on what he's been producing over the past few weeks. But at least he is also their goal line back from yeah, the right. that set. So he has as many rushing touchdowns this season now as Clyde Edwards-Elair. I mean, that is, that is the thing. You know, it seems like they're they're scheming the ball um, into his hands when he is on the field. So, it, you know, it's probably a bit better than the usage would would suggest for Burton. Yeah, at least if they get close to the goal line, we might see him take a snap. So uh, that's something. Carolina Panthers at Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs by 10 and a half, over under 53. Christian McCaffrey practiced Wednesday. He's not on injury report yet because the team has yet to activate him off of IR. So it looks, though, like they're expecting him to play. We're going to have to watch the situation through the week to make sure whenever McCaffrey does return, definitely do not drop Mike Davis, though. Yeah, I agree. Definitely stash Davis. I mean, we've seen guys struggle coming back from high ankle sprains. I think it's definitely possible that I think I think once McCaffrey is, you know, back into the swing of things, he'll be back close to his usual role. I think this week, you know, he might be limited a bit. Um, so I think it's probably reason to like not pay up for him in DFS. But I think in season long, you know, if McCaffrey's active, you're, you're playing him. 
Yeah, for sure. And uh, I would not expect Mike Davis to retain much of a role there, but he's already shown us what he what he offers as a handcuff. Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore, I think, are attractive in this matchup because of likely shootout conditions against Kansas City. Curtis Samuel coming off the two-touchdown game. I'm not buying it as more than an outlier. Just four catches for 31 yards among five targets in that game. His rushing touchdown came from 12 yards out, so it's not like he's in the goal line plan. And with Christian McCaffrey back, I think there might even be fewer carries, fewer targets available. Yeah, that's a good point. I think the carries will go away with McCaffrey back. The targets might you know, shrink as well. Um, and, you know, KC, you know, really for the past few years now, has been a pretty tough pass defense. So it's really not a, a great matchup for these wide receivers. Teddy Bridgewater outside of our top 12 for the same reasons. Coming off a bad game against Atlanta, and the Chiefs just haven't been a friendly matchup for QBs overall. It's not a matchup that you avoid at all costs, but it's definitely not one to target for somebody who's already kind of a fringe fantasy option like Teddy Bridgewater. I, I always think it should be a better matchup because you think teams are trailing the Chiefs and you look at their you know uh, personnel in the secondary, it's not great, but – Football Outsiders has them seventh in pass defense. Uh, they're fourth in adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. They've allowed the third fewest fantasy points per pass attempt. So it's, it's just it's just not a good matchup no matter how you look at it. And this year's Chiefs have shown us that if they jump out to a big lead, they're willing to just run the clock out from there and keep the ball on the ground. Yep. On the Chiefs side, you play them all. I mean, unlike the Jets game, the Panthers defense plays the pass better than the run. They're awful in run defense. So – Maybe we finally get the game where we actually get to gauge how much work Clyde Edwards Elair and Le'Veon Bell can get. We haven't gotten that the past two weeks because we had the snowy defensive score, you know, uh, kick return for a touchdown game at Denver. And then last week we had all the passing against the Jets because that's what their defense funnels it to. Right. Yeah. I feel like we still don't know what this backfield is going to be. Um, Edwards Elair has outcarried Bell 14 to 12 over the past two weeks. It's it's seven to three in targets in favor of the rookie. We've also had, you know, the Chiefs other running backs combined for 10 carries and three targets in those games. So yeah, I, th- I think it's still um a question what it's gonna look like. This matchup's, you know, good enough, uh, both on the ground and in the passing game for the running backs. You know, Carolina's 30th in football outsiders running back coverage rankings. I think, you know, Clyde Edwards Elair, you're starting him for sure. And Le'Veon Bell, I think, is in the you know running back three discussion. Yeah, I mean, like in any, in basically any other offense, this would be a situation to avoid until it sorts itself out. But because it's the Chiefs, both of these guys could score touchdowns this week, even if they're each in like the eight to eleven touch range. Yep, definitely. Anything else in this game to talk about? Uh, we'll have to watch Sammy Watkins, who was limited in practice Wednesday. We we finally got McCole Hardman as like the Chiefs' number two wide receiver. Sixty-seven um, percent of the routes last week obviously came through for the big game, but, you know, with that type of usage, we can actually trust him now. If Watkins remains out, if Watkins is back, I think you have to, you know, at least assume that Watkins will take back over as the number two wide receiver. Yeah. That was the kind of usage that'll make your hamstring feel better if you're Sammy Watkins. Yeah. Right. Denver Broncos at Atlanta Falcons, the Falcons by four over under 50. It's up two and a half from where it opened. And Jared, as the resident Drew Locke apologist, was that a breakout against the Chargers last week or an outlier for him? I mean, you got to say it's an outlier looking at the rest of his games, but it also could be a breakout. Cause I, you, you watch him play, and he ha- he has all the arm talent you could ever ask for. He makes impressive throws every week. Um, and if it is a, if it was a breakout, I mean, it should continue this week. I mean, you couldn't ask for a better matchup to follow that up. Um, Atlanta dead last in adjusted fans points allowed to quarterbacks. Seven of the eight quarterbacks to face Atlanta this season have finished top 13 on the week. So, you know, if Locks outside are top 12, I think there are a couple better spot start options. 
this week, you know, Derek Carr comes to mind. I think he's probably available in plenty of places. Um, but I don't know, DFS at least, I think Locke is is worth worth a look at. What's probably a low price tag. I haven't even checked prices prices yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, for me, Drew Locke does not exist outside of DFS. The Falcons have actually held the opponent's scoring down a, a bit more over the past few games. I, it's, it hasn't made them a difficult defense. I, I don't know if that's the case, but... I mean, even in Kirk Cousins' big game, they picked him off three times. The Panthers didn't do a whole lot on Thursday night. So maybe the Falcons are a little bit better on defense right now. I'm certainly not going to worry about the matchup. But really, Drew Locke has 11 touchdown passes so far through, I believe, nine full games it's been in the NFL. Five of those came in two games against the Chargers. So he loves facing the Chargers. He does not love facing anybody else so far. I'm going to I'm gonna stick with it being an outlier. I am fine with Tim Patrick if he's back. He was limited Wednesday after missing last week. I'm fine with Jerry Judy. I'm glad that we have Noah Fant back. Seven catches, 47 yards last week on nine targets, and now he's off the injury report this week. Yeah, Fant's the guy to get excited about, I think. Um, you know, he's averaging 7.2 targets per game this season. Atlanta dead last in adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight ends by a wide margin. They're providing an 83% scoring boost to tight ends. So, you know, Fant, Fant to me is a top five tight end play this week. Other side, it looks like you don't have anybody else on the Broncos side, right? So just in the just in the backfield, we should talk because you know it's it's basically been a 50-50 split in carries between Melvin Gordon and Phil Lindsay when they've been on the field together this season. Melvin Gordon's still doing most of the pass catching work, still the goal line back. So he's the better play, but he his stock takes a hit when Lindsay is available. Now Lindsay's dealing with another foot injury this week, so he's iffy. So you know, Gordon's like a borderline RB1 if Lindsay's out, more like a you know. RB2, lower end RB2 if uh, if Lindsey plays. Yeah, almost overlooked my own Broncos running back notes. <laughs> On the Atlanta side, Calvin Ridley's foot sprain. Sounds like it might not be as bad as they originally feared it was, but didn't practice Wednesday. I don't think you should plan on having him available for this week. Yeah, I plan on him not being available. You know, Julio Jones should dominate targets. Um, other than that, I mean, Russell Gage hasn't done enough to trust him, even with Ridley out. It, it seems like Christian Blake is the Calvin Ridley replacement. So, you know, if you're hoping to use Olamide Zacchaeus again, I wouldn't do that because he didn't get a boost in playing time after Ridley left last Thursday night's game. It was Blake who basically stepped in for Ridley. If you've been sitting around with your fingers crossed for Olamide Zacchaeus, then just go pick up one of the short white guys we've already talked about. On the show. <laughs> yeah. uh, otherwise, the, the usuals are in play. Hayden Hurst, seven targets in two straight games now, four-plus catches, 50-plus yards in three straight games and four of his past five. Really putting together a decent season so far. Sixth in total PPR points right now among tight ends. Yeah, he's the guy that probably, you know, get the boost with Kevin Ridley out. I would, you know, bank on him finishing second on Atlanta in targets if if there's no Ridley. Yeah, having kind of an Austin Hooper season at the moment. Yeah. Anything else from that game? Nope. Todd Gurley continues to be inefficient, but he's still getting the ball, especially near the goal line. So you kind of just have to start him until, you know, we see Atlanta really scale back his volume. Yep, Todd Gurley just cause. Seattle Seahawks at Buffalo Bills. Seahawks by two and a half, over under 55. We should see lots of points in this one. After last weekend when it was cold and rainy in Buffalo, the forecast for this weekend looks awesome. I can tell you from Rochester that it's in the 60s already. There's days of 70s, and the forecast is in the low 60s for Buffalo on Sunday. So it should be a good weather spot. Now, the question is, do we finally get the Josh Allen rebound game that we've been waiting for for several weeks. I mean, he doesn't even have to play well. He should have a nice game here. I mean, we, I mean, we, we, Jimmy Garoppolo is a total bust last week, but then uh, Nick Mullins comes in in the fourth quarter and throws for like 200 yards and two touchdowns. If you combine Garoppolo and Mullins numbers last week, they finished quarterback seven. 
So, you know, still every quarterback to face Seattle besides Kirk Cousins has been top 13 on the week. So great bounce back spot for, for Josh Allen. Yeah, Seattle's still the second best scoring matchup on the week behind Atlanta, according to our Draft Sharks adjusted fantasy points allowed. So fire up Josh Allen, sits fourth in our quarterback rankings. Stephon Diggs is obvious. There's upside to John Brown in the wide receiver four range. He returned last week for 81% playing time. Didn't see a whole lot of targets, though. Again, it was a bad weather game for passing. He hasn't topped five targets since week two. So if you do use John Brown, you got to know there's a low floor with him. Yeah, he also missed practice on Wednesday with the knee still. That might have just been like a, a day off, but it, it it tells me the knee is still not right. And you know, he he hasn't he's looked hobbled out there, you know, since that injury occurred. So upside in the matchup, but uh, you know, Cole, Cole Beasley definitely the the second best bet among Bills wide receivers. Yeah, and I think issues like that are especially worrisome when you're talking about a, a speed type of receiver. Yes. Um, Cole Beasley, I agree. There, there's upside. We had him in wide receiver three range. He's higher in wide receiver three range now than where he started the day. Just two targets for Cole Beasley last week, but that was only the second game all season where he saw fewer than six targets or finished with fewer than four catches. That's as many games as he has with 100 yards receiving this year. He's had two 100-yard games. That included the week before against the Jets, 11 catches for 112 on 12 targets. We should see elevated passing volume here, and it's a really nice matchup for anybody in the passing game. Yep, Beasley, um, even despite the low volume last week, uh, 22nd among wide receivers in targets. So, you know, that type of volume in this matchup against Seattle is, is someone you, you want to play. Mm-hmm. Zach Moss over Devin Singletary in the backfield. The roles look pretty evenly split, except uh, Zach Moss has emerged as the clear leader at the goal line. Two touchdowns in that range last week and saw season-high 14 carries overall. Yep, exactly. Both guys saw 14 carries and one target last week. Zach Moss actually played a few more snaps. And Singletary. So like you said, it's a 50-50 split with Moss getting uh, most of the goal line stuff. Yeah, give me Moss over Singletary going forward. Yep, me too. On the Seahawks side, really the only real question to ponder is the backfield, and we'll see. Chris Carson, Carlos Hyde, Travis Homer all missed practice Wednesday. Homer's the only guy among those three that played last week against the 49ers, and he barely played. Seven total snaps, one carry. The one thing we know after last week is that Seattle's not scared of giving the ball to DJ Dallas. I mean, I think DJ Dallas is like a borderline RB1 if Carson and Hyde sit because, like you said, he got the volume last week. Maybe Homer plays a bit more. I think he just wasn't healthy last week. Maybe he's still not healthy. We'll see you know, what he does in practice the rest of the week. But this Buffalo defense is just bad. They're 24th in football outsiders run defense rankings, giving up 4.5 yards per carry to running backs, 24th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to running backs. So, I mean, as crazy as it sounds, volume and matchup, I think, make Dallas like a, a top 15 play this week if Carson and Hyde are out. Yeah, I would certainly make sure that he's not on any waiver wires at the moment. Yep. Las Vegas Raiders at the Los Angeles Chargers. The Chargers are one-point favorites here. It's down two points from where it opened, over under 52. And the first thing you need to do here is forget about last week in Cleveland for the Raiders. It was cold. It was rainy. It was windy. There was basically no passing at all on either side. Derek Carr was rolling before that. He's a strong starting option this week. The Chargers allowed 60 combined points over the past two weeks to the Jaguars and Broncos. And among all those points, there was just one Jacksonville touchdown that did not come on offense. Five total touchdown passes allowed between Drew Locke and Gardner Minshew with a busted right thumb. And then a few weeks back, Tom Brady threw five touchdown passes against these Chargers. So they're suddenly a weak passing matchup. Yeah, Drew Brees had over 300 yards in the game between uh, the Bucks and Jags games. Uh, the Chargers 26 in adjusted fantasy points allowed to quarterbacks. And like you said, Matt, before last week's game, Carr had been a top 14 fantasy quarterback in five straight games before that. 
Darren Waller, Josh Jacobs, obvious here. Henry Ruggs led all Raiders in routes run last week, season high in that category. He's going to be a volatile player. I don't think Henry Ruggs is going to turn into a comfy start every week kind of guy, but there is significant upside to his wide receiver four standing right now. I think he's going to be that player that finishes like wide receiver 18 one week and then wide receiver 50 the next week when you start him. Yeah, tough season-long guy. Definitely someone I think to consider in DFS tournaments this week. Um, yeah, his tre- his playing time's trending up. Uh, season highs and route rates in two straight weeks now. Also has a carry in two straight games, so nice to see the Raiders looking to get the ball in his hands. Not an easy matchup here. Um, the Chargers seventh against wide receivers. They are twentieth defending deep passes, though, according to Football Outsiders. So, you know, may- maybe a chance for Rugs to make to make a big play this week. Yeah, not terrific at safety. And Derek Carr said last week that throwing deep is who who they are becoming on offense. So it should steer them toward trying Henry Ruggs deep at least. Again, he's going to be volatile because if he doesn't connect on any of those, you know, he could have a three catch. Uh, 28 yard game so don't no lock but it's it's a decent spot for him and his usage is on the rise yep much better coverage matchup for hunter renfro in the slot than it is for the outside guys um henry ruggs also spending a significant amount of time in the slot but uh overall i think renfro is not a safe bet for playing time but he's a better bet i think for production than uh nelson Aguilar. if you're looking down at that level where you're considering those guys I I got to I, I got to go Aguilar there. I know you know he did nothing last week. Renfro caught the touchdown, but Aguilar was just on the field so much more. Like Renfro only ran her out on thirty five percent of Carr's dropbacks last week. You know that was a run heavy game in, in crappy weather. Renfro was at fifty seven percent the week prior to that. But you know Aguilar's still been on the field. Um, you know he's 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 only top four targets once all season. That's kind of the issue. I, mean, I, I don't I don't love either guy, but I, I would go with Aguilar forced to pick between the two. Yeah, neither's a target, but if we're arm wrestling, I'm arm wrestling for Hunter Renfro. <laughs> you love those white slot receivers. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, great spot for everyone on the Chargers side that you're considering. Justin Jackson's back to working clearly ahead of Joshua Kelly, who trailed even Troy Mayne Pope in both carries and targets against the Broncos. Yeah, and we talked about it even the week before that Pope had gotten involved and sort of turned it into a three-way committee, but it hasn't really mattered for um, Justin Jackson. He has, well, he, his carries have gone 15-5 and then 17 in the three games without Austin Eckler. The nice thing, though, is Jackson has seen six, six, and five targets of so his passing game usage has been steady. Um, great matchup here. The Raiders 31st in football outsiders run defense rankings. I, I think, you know, Jackson's a pretty solid RB2 play this week. Pittsburgh Steelers at Dallas Cowboys. The Steelers by 14. I'm not sure that's high enough. Over under 42. Play all your Steelers in this game. The Cowboys defense is so bad that Carson Wentz decided to revert to first month Carson Wentz and still beat him. Yeah, we talked about Big Ben sort of being in the Kirk Cousins boat where, like, I would take the under on 30 pass attempts. I also would probably bet on him throwing at least a couple touchdowns in this game. So he's okay. I think all the receivers in play, even though the volume is not going to be huge. Deontay Johnson off the injury report this week for the first time all season. So that would suggest he might be as healthy as he's been all year. Um, Chase Claypool led the Steelers with nine targets last week. So even though he's third in line for routes, he's on the field plenty. And, you know, he – I think I think – in any given week, any three of these wide receivers could be the lead in targets. Yeah, and also suggests that a foot injury might be incoming for Deontay Johnson this week. Now that you probably on the Dallas side, I would really like to avoid playing anyone besides Zeke Elliott, and I would love it if I don't even have to play Zeke Elliott. I've had multiple people ask lately about trading for Ezekiel Elliott, and I would not do that as a target. I think he's okay to pick up 
if it's a deal centered on someone else. Like if you're looking to upgrade and you're getting a stud wide receiver and it's a two for two deal and Zeke is coming back on the other side and you're giving a decent running back on your side, that's where it's okay. But it's going to have to be like liquidation sale pricing on Zeke for me. I mean, Zeke's basically David Montgomery right now. Like he's, he's still getting decent volume, but he's just, he's not going to be efficient with how bad this Cowboys offense is and how you know bad the offensive line is playing. So yeah, I mean, if you can get, Zeke for like a mid RB2 price tag, uh, that's fine. But I, I just doubt you're going to get him for that. We'll see what Garrett Gilbert or Cooper Rush means for the offense. I don't think that either guy is uh, walking out of the tomb to act as the savior in Dallas. Yeah, I think I, I think Amari Cooper is the only Cowboys wide receiver I'd want to play. You know, even, even Watt is too strong probably. The, the Steelers are 31st in adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. Football Outsiders has them dead last in coverage against number one wide receiver. So it's a good matchup for Cooper. You know, who knows if whoever's under center can get him the ball though. Yeah. When you've got a, a group of kindergartners at quarterback for you, nobody's a good matchup. So I would, I would rather play Cole Beasley than any wide receiver wearing a star on his helmet this week. Man, it's, it'd be tough to play Beasley over Cooper, but it's, but it's probably the right move. Yeah. Close your eyes and do it. <laughs> Anything else in that game? No. Miami Dolphins at Arizona Cardinals. Cardinals by four and a half, over under 48 and a half here. No Miles Gaskin. He finally got placed on IR today, I believe. Um, looking like no Matt Breida for this game. Missed Wednesday with a hamstring injury right when his opportunity finally pops up. So it's looking like Jordan Howard, Patrick Laird, and Salvin Ahmed as the running backs. It doesn't sound like they're expecting DeAndre Washington to be available yet. At the very least, the COVID protocol you know, is going to keep him out of practice all week. So it's tough to kind of work somebody into the offense at that point. I guess that Jordan Howard is the stash and use for me if I need one of them. Yeah. I mean, ideally you, you don't mess around with this backfield, assuming Breda's out. I mean, I, I thought Breda was like a, you know, borderline RB two if, if he was healthy, but you know, again, he, he looks iffy. Even if he plays, he's going to be shaky with a hamstring issue. I would bet on Howard and Laird like splitting work Laird probably doing most of the pass catching stuff Howard's still the goal line guy like he was early in the season um, it's not even a great matchup Arizona's been like an average run defense the Dolphins are road underdog so um, I, I, would, I would I would try to just avoid I would certainly like to avoid as well I mean Laird's been the one that's active over Jordan Howard lately but that's because he's a special team yeah. so I wouldn't read into that um, having him ahead of Howard on the depth chart uh, avoid if you can. I think stash DeAndre Washington for next week and beyond if that's possible, if you have a spot. Yep. I don't feel great about anybody else in the Miami offense. Even Devontae Parker makes me a little uneasy at the top of wide receiver three range, but we'll see. The Dolphins really didn't have to do much on offense last week, so it might be that they are okay on that front with Tua Tango Bailoa in the lineup. Yeah, I mean, like you said, Tua didn't need to do much last week, but I, I don't know. What he did wasn't exactly encouraging for me. I mean, he was 12 for 22 for 93 passing yards. Um, PFF had him 26th in their passing grades for the week. Um, he had a 5.1 yard yard average depth of depth of throw, which was uh, tied for the lowest mark of the week. So just, you know, seemed like a conservative game plan, which again, might've been because he was playing with the lead most of the time. Um, so I don't think two is in play. I think Devontae Parker still the best bet here. Even his playing time was down though. Uh, Preston Williams played more snaps and ran more routes than Parker last week um you know arizona's been kind of a middling matchup for wide receiver so i think uh avoiding the dolphins offense in general might be the way to go this week i think it's another spot where i might play cole beasley over your team's number one receiver i would i'd play beasley over parker and then feel better about that than uh than benching cooper sounds like parker might need to move down our rankings a little bit so we'll have to look at that after the show i'm, I'm in me yep 
Uh, on the Arizona side, obviously you're playing Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins easily, but we've talked about this before. The defensive matchup here, we have to start um, respecting, not to the point of avoiding it, but to the point of trusting that it's not a positive matchup for your passing game pieces. You know, again, it doesn't really affect Murray or DeAndre Hopkins. It does affect Christian Kirk, I think, though. Two touchdowns in two straight games, so it's going to be tough if you have Christian Kirk to not play him. But this, despite the season high in targets versus Seattle last time out, he's had just two games of more than three catches all year, including that two-touchdown game against the Cowboys. Yeah, Arizona's last three games have been against the Jets, Cowboys, and Seahawks. You know, tough to drop a better three-game stretch than that. Now, like you said, you know, this is a tough matchup against Miami. Football Outsiders has them third in pass defense now. Um, they've allowed the fifth fewest fantasy points per pass attempt. Um, they are still 23rd against wide receivers. Um, you know, they, they have a couple good outside corners. So, you know, Kirk, Kirk I think, is, is a boomer bust wide receiver three in this matchup because the volume still hasn't been great. Yeah, I'll give him that. I'll probably more of a wide receiver four for me, but certainly there's boom potential to go with that. Um, it's been a good matchup on the ground against Miami, though. So Chase Edmonds is a strong fantasy player this week with no Kenyon Drake. Yeah, I'm curious to see just how much work he gets. Like, you know, it's only Eno Benjamin and Jonathan Ward, who's an undrafted rookie behind Edmonds on the depth chart. Um, he, he's already averaging 4.6 targets per game. So if he gets that plus the 17 carries per game that Kenyon Drake had been averaging, I mean, you know, Edmonds looks like a top five running back play this week. Yeah, I was today years old when I learned that Jonathan Ward was a person. <laughs> uh, me too, actually. <laughs> All right. Anything else from that game? Uh, no. New Orleans Saints at Tampa Bay Buccaneers for the Sunday night game. The Bucs by four and a half, over under a 52. Michael Thomas was limited in Wednesday's practice. That's an improvement over last week, at least. Still listed with both the ankle and the hamstring. So we're going to have to watch him throughout the week. Uh, if Michael Thomas is active, I would play him, but he's more in wide receiver two range for me. Uh, if I'm loaded at wide receiver, I could see passing on Michael Thomas, but most likely he's in lineups, not in DFS uh, consideration for me, though. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, high ankle sprains, we know, can be tough to come back from. Add on the hamstring, add on a tough matchup against the Bucs. Um, yeah, no DFS for Thomas, but I mean, he, I got to imagine he's in season-long lineups. Unless we hear he's going to be limited or on some type of snap count. Right. Emmanuel Sanders is expected back after two weeks on the COVID list. It's a bad matchup, though, for both him and Michael Thomas. Carlton Davis, Jamel Dean, both playing well at outside corner for the Bucks this year. Jamel Dean just got his first full start over um, Sean Murphy bunting at corner against the Giants on Monday night. Thomas runs a little bit from the slot, but but only about a quarter of the time. So he should be an outside receiver most of the time. So no real bump here to his value. And Carlton Davis in particular is a bigger corner in his third year playing the best ball of his career so far, allowing just a 47.1 passer rating and coverage, according to Pro Football Focus. I mean, the Bucks D was kind of underwhelming on uh, Monday night against the Giants, but you know, still not a defense I really want to mess around with with fringe guys. Um, you know, San Sanders was coming on before missing that last game. He had 23 targets and 18 catches over his last two. But again, those were both without Michael Thomas. Um, if Thomas is back, you know, he obviously eats away at a bunch of the team targets. Um, tough spots for the wideouts, as I mentioned, and the road underdog status combined with that, I think makes it a good spot for Jared Cook. Bucks weaker in tight end defense. They like to blitz middle linebacker Devin White a lot. They've been cutting the playing time lately for safety, Jordan Whitehead. So messing around with that position some. There's a low target floor for Jordan, for uh, Jared Cook any week, but there's also upside to this matchup this week. Yeah, five catches for 80 yards against the Bucks back in week one. That obviously came with Michael Thomas on the field. I, mean, I do think you have to downgrade Cook a bit if Thomas is back. But, you know, he, he's still going to be a top 12 tight end in the rankings. He's scored 
in three straight games now and has a touchdown in four of six games overall. Obviously playing Alvin Kamara regardless of the matchup, but it's not a good spot for Latavius Murray against still one of the league's tougher run defenses, regardless of what Monday night suggests on that front. And again, the underdog spot I think can only uh, deter the New Orleans from running a lot. Yeah, not not a week to use uh, Latavius. On the Bucks side, not a scary matchup for anybody. Tom Brady is an easy play, especially with Antonio Brown and Chris Godwin, perhaps both uh, joining the mix. Getting either or both of those guys looks bad, though, for Mike Evans. 34 targets in four games without Chris Godwin so far. 12 targets in four games with, with Chris Godwin. Fell short of 40 receiving yards in each of those games. Basically, when Chris Godwin's been on the field, Mike Evans has turned into Tyler Johnson. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the splits have been crazy. I, I, I'm I, not expecting that to continue. Like, you know, Godwin being on the field and Brown being in the mix, and obviously Hurts Evans' target projection. I don't think he's going to keep seeing three targets per game. Um, he gets the Marshawn Lattimore matchup on Sunday night. It, that's a matchup he struggled against for most of his career. But Marshawn Lattimore has just been bad this season. He's allowing 10.4 yards per target. So, I mean, we'll, we'll move Evans down the rankings if it looks like Godwin's going to play. But, you know, he'll, he'll still be in wide receiver two range. And then he'll get outscored by Cole Beasley. <laughs> How high is Beasley finishing this week, man? I, apparently like 11 in my <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like it. <laughs> you should be selling Mike Evans hard this week, yeah. regardless of what you expect his target outlook to be in this game and beyond. Because there's no way that adding these receivers can be good for him in this offense. So uh, we'll, we'll see where he goes. It's a really nice spot for uh, Rob Gronkowski, and he's been in really nice spots lately. He's tight end three in total PPR points over the past five weeks, tight end two over the past three weeks, three straight games with a touchdown, four catches and 40-plus yards as well in each of those contests. I mean, I think another guy you have to expect the targets to drop a bit, you know, if Godman's back and if Antonio Brown is in the mix. Um, but, I mean, that, it, it drops Gronk from, like, a top five tight ends, like a top eight tight end. Saints 25th in adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight ends. I, I still think Gronk is going to be one of the better touchdown bats at the position every week. Yeah, and he doesn't even need that many uh, targets at his position to to right. stay where he is. Yeah. I'd love to avoid the backfield if I can. Leonard Fournette passed Ronald Jones on Monday night after a Ronald Jones fumble, and all of a sudden Ronald Jones catches every pass over the middle like he's a kid underneath a busted pinata. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's a case of he's not a good pass catcher, and now it's just in his head because he's had so many bad drops this season. So, I mean, Fournette is locked in as the primary pass catching back now, and, and there's a chance after last week he's the lead ball carrier we'll, we'll see I mean if you're picking between the two I definitely prefer Fournette but the Saints have been good against the run you know it's a be- much better matchup for the Bucks passing game here yes I agree and I don't know if busted pinata is the one or if it's like a kid in a water balloon toss trying not to let it break maybe it's more that one they both work anything else in that game nope New England Patriots at New York Jets to close out this week unless you want to stop watching football before you get to this UG fest uh, Monday night Patriots by seven and a half over under a 42 and a half. This looks gross. I mean, maybe Cam Newton can finally do something passing in this game again, but he sits 19th among quarterbacks in our rankings for this week. And nobody on the staff has tried to argue him up from that spot. Yeah. I might like him a bit higher after digging into this more. I mean, if he's ever going to have a decent passing game again, it's going to be here against the jets and his rushing has still made him like decent. He, he's finished uh top 16 among fantasy quarterbacks in two of his three games since coming back. Um, so he's okay. I don't think he has, you know, any upside, but the, the rushing alone sort of, you know, gives him a, you know, top 15 ish kind of floor. Yeah. I wouldn't fight with him floating around QB two territory, but I mean, this is a defense that allowed five touchdowns to Mahomes last week has allowed 420 plus yards in three of the past four games. I mean, 
Cam Newton should be a top 12 quarterback. The fact that none of us believes that he is tells you where Cam Newton and that offense are right now. Yeah, very sad. Um, Jacoby Myers, I think the only guy in this passing game you want to consider. Um, 10 targets last week for Myers. That was a team high. It was 40% of Cam Newton's total attempts. That did come against the Bills, who, you know, kind of funnel action to the slot just with, you know, Trey White on the outside. And we, we know slot receivers do well against Buffalo. The Jets, actually, uh, Brian Poole, their slot corner, is easily their top cornerback. BFF has him sixth in their coverage grade. So it's not nearly as strong of a matchup for Myers, but I, I do think he's the best target bet in New England this week. Yeah, I think Demir Bird has some upside if you're looking way down the rankings. But, I mean, you, you got to be in rough shape to be considering players like that in an offense like that at this right. point. Damian Harris is a decent running back, too, but there's a low floor this week. The matchup is, you know, skews things toward passing over rushing. And I, I don't think that the Patriots are going to need to use James White enough to really make him a worthwhile option. Yeah, I mean, with New England being, where are they, like eight, six, seven or eight-point favorites, um, you know, you, you'd think it'd be a Damian Harris game. You know, he, and he, he does have um, a pair of 100-yard games among his first four NFL outings. Um, he has 17 and 16 carries. So, you know, they've, they've been willing to give him the ball when game script or game plan, you know, dictates it. It's always dangerous to guess about, you know, what New England's game plan is going to be. But it does seem like it should be a Harris game and, you know, not, not a James White game. Yeah, and they, the Jets have not been a great rushing matchup, but they have allowed three running backs already to hit 90 yards or above. So it's certainly not out of the question for a big rushing game. And again, game script should go in his direction. Right. On the Jets side, still nothing for me unless Jamison Crowder can make it back. Adam Gase reportedly said earlier this week that he is hopeful that Crowder would make it back. We'll get our first injury report today at some point because it's the Monday night game. So if Crowder's back, I'm playing him. Otherwise, I'm ignoring uh, yeah, that'd be your best bet is ignoring. I mean, again, Braxton Barrios, Barrios is in the Trent Taylor, Danny Amendola range for me. He has 7.5 targets per game when Crowder has been out. Um, the backfield continues to be a split. Um, Frank Gora produced Michael P. Ryan last week. P. Ryan still played more snaps, ran more routes. Um, but, I mean, it's it's a committee in a bad offense. I was surprised that Denzel Mims factored as heavily into the DFS landscape as he did, regardless of his price. Yeah, he was someone that just sort of like caught steam and everyone kind of piled on. I mean, it made sense at the price and bad game flow. He got off to a good start. He had, well, he had like two catches for 40 something yards early and then he had nothing the rest of the game. Cause you know, it's, it's the jets. Yep, exactly. That's going to do it for this week nine preview edition of the podcast. Head over to DraftSharks.com now to see how we rank all these players and check your, my team pages to get those projections applied to your roster, your waiver wire, your scoring system, check out our penultimate buy sell hold report of the season, as well as the dynasty buy sell hold report. If you're looking to make moves in that format, you can also find us on Twitter. We are at draft sharks. Jared is at Smola DS. I am at shout DS. That's S C H A U F for Jared Smola and the rest of the draft sharks crew. I'm Matt Shaw saying thanks so much for swimming with us.